Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I think what, one thing that really struck me was, uh, I think it was one of the, I want to say Skims co-founders. They talked about uh, an advice that's, ask for what you want, uh, especially in meetings where you're with someone who's a role model or uh, an industry leader, and you really want them to be an advisor or an investor in the company, but you're too shy to ask. Uh, and I think I can definitely relate to that many, many times. I had the pleasure during our Wide Awake, A Day for Female Founders event to interview Carly Zakin and Danielle Weisberg from The Skim. Now, they had interviewed me on their podcast a few months ago, and so I was really excited to be able to turn the tables around and talk to them and just hear how they started literally something that reaches well over a million millennials every day. You know, they started on their couch in their pajamas uh, with no money. So it's a really great conversation that we had, and I hope you enjoy it. I am thrilled to introduce them. Um, Ask them tons of really difficult questions when you're done. Stump them, make them uncomfortable. Um, And Rebecca, our fearless co-founder of this uh, wonderful workshop and day is uh, moderating it. So please welcome Carly, Danielle, and Rebecca. Thanks, Jenny. Are you guys having fun? Good. So I was just in the hot seat when I recently did um, a podcast with these ladies. Live skim from the couch. That's right. So now I get to ask them all the questions in reverse. So we'll, <laughs> so we'll dive right in. Um, I would love for you guys to share uh, launching the skim. What made you guys decide to take the leap from your couch? Sure. Well, first of all, um, Jenny and Rebecca, thank you so much for having us. Um, and thank you for the idea to bring this wonderful wide awake female founders day together. I think it's awesome. And we're very happy to be here. Um, the idea for the skim started six and a half years ago. Uh, we were producers at NBC news and grew up news geeks. We loved it. Um, it was what we wanted to be when we grew up and then we grew up and we saw that, Um, Graduating in 2008, the economy was not in a good place. There was no longer this secure job path uh, in many different um, areas and and in many different workforces. And we saw that in media, that we saw people getting laid off. We saw that our bosses didn't necessarily want to be what they were at that point. And for two people who had grown up wanting to be nothing more than the people that they worked for, it was scary. Um, And we saw first and foremost that our friends didn't watch anything we produced or wrote for a living. Um, And (laughs) we tried. We tried everything we could think of. Um, And ultimately, it came down to they're real people with real demands on their time um, who weren't paid to read the news all day long like we were. Um, So we thought about this audience. 
audience and we thought about why this is because we would go to work every day and we would hear we need to get a younger audience we need to get a younger audience and we would look at the demo and it was like 60 plus white men and there were their ideas to actually get a hold of everyone in this room just were lacking something. Um, They weren't authentic. They didn't really understand who we all are. Um, And we knew that first and foremost, we were part of this audience and we knew how we and our friends wanted to get information and we all know how busy we are. And that if you have an extra three minutes or five minutes, you want something that fits in with your routines and you want something that you can trust and you want it to be there when you need it. And so that's what we created. And everything that I said sounds like this great story where we knew all this and we knew it would be a success. It was the most terrifying thing we have ever done in our lives. We're not risky. We're not risk takers. We kind of are like, oh, check the box. This is the one big risk we'll ever take in our lives, Um, which is not true. But it uh, was terrifying. And I think the reason why we made the jump is because there were two of us. So we kind of held hands and, and jumped off together. Um, Not enough is shared about the difficulties of being an entrepreneur. Um, Obviously, Instagram makes it all look perfect. I can tell you there's failures every day, but I would love for you to share some of the difficulties you've encountered just being an entrepreneur. Um, It's really, really effing hard. Uh, I think that um, there have been different moments that it has been harder. I think as the business has progressed, the stakes continue to get higher every year. So, you know, a lot of times our friends and family say, are you still as stressed as you were in the early days? And they say, I'm actually more stressed, but my day-to-day schedule might be slightly better. Um, but it is, um, I think for us in the very beginning, the first stress was fundraising. We knew absolutely nothing about the venture world. We knew nothing about raising money. We really only knew how to be editorial in a big corporation. Um, so that was, you know, we say that we felt like we went through like business school, law school, maybe med school all, all in a very short period of time. And, uh, that continued, you know, we, at this point we've raised through a series C round of funding. Um, so each time you, you go through that, the stakes are higher and you, sometimes we hear ourselves talk and I'm like, I cannot believe what just came out of my mouth that I know these words now. Um, I think the second thing that's kind of thematically been so difficult for us is managing. We had never managed before and managing can be the most rewarding part of our life as entrepreneurs and also the most hair pulling. Um, and I think the third thing would be communication. Um, and that kind of relates to management, but you know, as storytellers professionally, we, I would say we both thought we were pretty articulate and could tell a story. I think translating what you want to a team is very difficult in a skill set that continues to get harder as we went from two people to 12 people to 30 to now a hundred. And oftentimes, I mean, we literally just started working with a coach to like learn about how to organize a meeting better because, um, oftentimes we find that people leave the room and are like, I don't really know what they just asked me to do. (laughs) And we're, and we look at each other and we're like, are we crazy? Is it us? Is it them? And it's a totally new skill set. Um, and, and I think also we are, it's very hard, you know, we once got criticism from, um, from someone in the business community and said, you're being emotional. And, I know that's like a trigger word of like, oh my, no, they did not say that. And they didn't mean it in that, in, in the way that it might be uh, interpreted. But what they did mean is that uh, they thought we were taking something too personally. And I think that's a really hard thing about being an entrepreneur. And I'm sure you feel the same way all the time, which is 
it is personal. Like it is your literal name on designs. It is not our name, but it is personal. Like we gave up everything to do this and uh, it is emotional and it's okay that it is emotional. And I think that has been something that is very hard. <laughs> um, I'm curious to get your views on how you see the conversation about female entrepreneurs changing. Clearly, there's a lot of founders in the audience, but it is something that's still being asked. Like you're talked about as a female entrepreneur, not just an entrepreneur, right? Well, I think first of all, when we started seven years ago, this didn't exist. Um, so just being in a room like this is something that we've seen happen more and more, especially in the past three years. Um, I think that we, we talk about this a lot when we started the company, um, we've actually met aside from Jenny, most of our advisors at one breakfast that was hosted, um, by BBG and Susan line. Um, and they invited just a group of women that they knew were interested in entrepreneurship or media or tech. And it was like 12 women. And then it started getting bigger and bigger and bigger year after year. But when we started, that was kind of it. It was like this event that we randomly got invited to. And now when I look around New York and this space, it's amazing how many um, opportunities there are to network and meet other female founders. I also think when we started, we felt a little bit like we were in a class of entrepreneurs that um, we're raising the conversation, right? Like we're female founders. We are looking at this demographic. We are starting a company that is female founded, that is led by female co-CEOs. And we're also female editors in chief as this differentiator. And I think it still is, but I'm so happy that we're not alone anymore. You know, when we started, we, we were always with the same three or four companies and four is a stretch. And um, it was like, we would go to every conference and it was like, oh, I'll see you there. You'll be the other women in the room. Um, and now when we go, it's, it's slowly, slowly getting better. There's still a long way to go, but I think seeing things like like this become a regular occurrence and not something that happens as an exception um, gives me hope that we are. I also, I would add, you know, when we talk about going to those conferences, it's really about trying to like wiggle your way a lot of the times to a ticket or an invite to something that exists and that has existed for many years and oftentimes reflects the lack of diversity that we all know is very well documented specifically in the venture community. What I love about what's happening today is you just started your own. And I think that's what we're seeing more and more of is don't necessarily try to fight your way into that room, just start your own room. Uh, and I think that's what's really exciting. And we've seen that change. I'd love to hear about how you feel like this has trickled down to your consumers and your community. Question. Um, I think in a few ways, I think, uh, you know, one of the things we did early on, um, like a few years ago, we started something called um, a program called Get Off the Couch, where we have this amazing ambassador community of over 30,000 brand reps around the country. And we basically created a small business competition. And I, we can't reveal it yet, but um, one of the winners of, uh, of that program, of that competition, um, actually recently had their business acquired. And they credited the experience, like being mentored by our team um, as allowing that to happen. And that was such an amazing moment for us to see. And that program ended up evolving into um, Skin from the Couch, our podcast, which you very kindly joined us recently. Um, and I think what we see is that we're having very honest conversations um, around sometimes how hard it is, sometimes like how to get something off the ground, whether it's how to network, how to manage, kind of all the shit that we all go through. 
I've cursed a lot today. I'm sorry. You're, you're allowed uh, to swear here. It's a safe sorry. space. Uh, but uh, all the stuff that we all go through. And um, I think that what we've seen is that it's really resonated with our audience because, you know, we actually once surveyed our audience and I think almost half said that they want to be an entrepreneur. Now, I don't think that means almost half want to start their own business, but I think what we know is that the trajectory in traditional industries is no longer a straight path. So every industry is going through some sort of disruption, some sort of transformation. And whether you have to be entrepreneurial for your own business or in your existing role as part of a bigger company, I think we're all going through this same thing. And um, I think outlets like that that we've created for our community have been amazing. And honestly, even within our own team, I mean, we just did a team meeting today and we do AMAs every week. And one AMA was asked about how can we foster um, the fact that some of our employees actually want to start their own business. And we had an honest conversation of like, that's not a secret. Like, that's a good thing. We are very happy if someone were to leave the skim and start something and we can be supportive. Um, and so I think it, it does trickle. I hope it continues to trickle down from the top. So you have one of the most loyal and engaged audiences I've ever seen. Um, my, I, when I was doing the podcast, you know, our, our head of e-com was like, we have an unusual amount of traffic today, and I'm not sure why. I was like, I can tell you exactly why. Uh, because everyone at that event and who listened and who joined the AMA just went to our site because of that. So what are, what are some things you've done to engage them, keep them loyal, and grow an audience of this size? Because it's not easy. Um, I think the first is trust. We definitely put our skimmers first when we're creating product, uh, when we're thinking about how to monetize product, when we are thinking about what's next, we ask them. Um, and that relationship is central to anything we build at the company. I think the second is authenticity. We really know who we are. We spend a lot of time thinking about the brand and uh, we very clearly aren't a lot of things and we don't try to be everything to everyone. We don't try to be the be all end all for every solution out there. Our ethos is very clear. We're a membership to living smarter uh, and we are 100% about the female millennial. Um, So I think those two things really stand out. The way that we did that um, in the beginning was just this natural kind of pen pal relationship we had with our earliest skimmers who would write in with their thoughts and feedback, and they started um, coining the term skimbassador. And now that has grown to a movement of over 30,000 people throughout the country who are our biggest supporters, um, who give us the toughest criticism, um, and who have really supported and helped build this company brick by brick. I think also one of the big ways that we've seen um, the ability to retain this this type of trust um, has been the No Excuses program, which is our platform for civic engagement. So we got over 200,000 women to vote with us in the midterms. Um, Thank you. Thank you. So I think that taking on big things like voter registration, like No Excuses, um, it shows that we're we're moving the bar. We're trying to get this audience together, and we want it to be something that we can be proud of, the company that we're building. So you started with a newsletter. You could have just kept it a newsletter. What made you say, oh, I'm going to take on more and more and more and more? I think a misunderstanding or misconception about us as a brand is that we pivoted in any way. 
I think we're very open like all the things we didn't know when we started and we can tell you that for a very long time. But what we did know very early on was who our audience was, what our value proposition was going to be, and that email was a marketing tool. And so we launched with a daily newsletter to get into all of your daily habits and your routines. Um, but And the goal there was to build a community and then to be able to activate that community to do different things. So if you had asked us six and a half years ago, did we know what our podcast name would be, that our community would look like this, that our book would be coming out, pre-order it, please, uh, but uh, that we would launch a daily podcast this week. No, we didn't know all of that, but what we knew is that we were going to have diversified revenue. We knew there was going to be a subscription business for us. We knew we had a media business. And we knew email would be um, really like the welcome mat to our business. Um, and so everything else, you know, has evolved for lots of different reasons. But as Danielle said, a lot of times really because of the feedback of our consumer, the number one thing our audience has asked for since the beginning is audio. And that's why we're really excited that we just launched a daily audio product this week. And it's why we're really excited. We also have our own podcast um, and we'll continue to invest in audio. But for us, um, we continue our, our product philosophy has always been where does information and utility kind of intersect and then how can we create products to be a part of that? So we're still just getting started. So I love that, you know, throughout everything you've said, it's really listening to your, your consumer, right? And as the most important takeaway. So because of the things you've listened to, what are you most excited about to accomplish this year? Two things. Uh, the first, <laughs> just, just two? yeah, well, there's a lot, but, uh, the first just launched on Monday. It's called Skim This. Uh, one of the things that is really central to our contact, uh, our content philosophy is the idea of context. And I think that gets missed all the time in today's news environment. So with keeping that in mind, we built Skim This, which comes out at 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. You can get it wherever you listen to podcasts. And the idea is simple. Context is clarity. Um, we all want to be able to understand stories. And there's a deeper understanding you can get outside of just trying to keep up with the daily news as it's happening. So it's a step back. Um, the second thing is our book, How to Skim Your Life. And while the book is something that we are so excited to have out there, it's your guide to adulting. We felt like we missed a whole class on how to be grown ups. So we created this book for everyone. Um, but what I'm excited about the most and thinking about our audience and how we learn things is actually getting to spend time with them. And our audience is not coastal. Um, we love our audience in New York. We love our audience in LA, but our audience is very purposely throughout the country. And that was something that we really decided and focused on early on. So as part of how to skim your life, um, we are going to be going on tour, uh, this summer and having uh, moderated nights out. Um, and I'm really excited just to get to spend a night with our audience in different cities throughout the country and hear what they have to say. There is so much in this book. We cover a ton of topics and I want to hear what resonates most in different parts of the country because that's how we're going to learn what the next phase looks like and what the next part of a membership to Living Smarter looks like. So there's obviously, um, all of you are female entrepreneurs in the room. So what is a, a piece of advice from each one of you that you think was invaluable starting out or even midway through? I think I always say like the best advice is the simplest, which is, I remember there were two things early on that someone said to us, which was, um, when we first started this game and people were writing into us and we we're like, we have this community. It's so amazing. And one of our advisors said, have you asked them to share the skim? And you we were like, 
nope. And we're like, okay, should probably do that. Then the second part to that was we kept complaining that we were meeting all these investors and no one wanted to invest. No one believed in us. And that same person said, well, leave every meeting and ask for something. So I think the sort of the twofold advice in that for me is do not like always ask for something. We kept a spreadsheet of everyone that said no, but next to the no was who did they introduce us to? And a no does not mean that they cannot be helpful in other ways. And I think the second part of that is ask for what you want. So no one's going to be like, by the way, I know you're too shy to say, but I'd love to introduce you to these five people who can really change your trajectory. Like, ask for that. And I remember really early on, actually, it was one of the Guild founders um, we met with and we were so excited to meet her. And, and uh, we were kind of like almost like flirting with her across the table. We were like, and we're doing this. And then we're going to do this. And she just kind of like smiled at us. And we like are looking at each other like this isn't going well. Like she's, She doesn't probably like want to invest or do anything or mentor us. And we left and she shook her hand and she said, my one piece of advice for you is, ask for what you want. And like, she's a friend now. And I always like bring that up because I'm like, she knew what we wanted to do. And I'm so glad she told us that at the end of the meeting, which is we wanted her to invest. And we should have just said, do you invest right now? And if not, who should invest? And that would have saved us a lot of really awkward conversations. (laughs) Uh, I think it's for me, it's something that my mom said to me all the time growing up. And I didn't understand what it meant until I tried to start my own company, uh, which is the worst thing someone can say is no, and that's not bad. Uh, so I think it's getting comfortable with the word no. Uh, you're going to hear it so many times that it starts to lose meaning, and that's the point where you stop being afraid of it. I like to say in all areas except dating, no is just the beginning of yes. <laughs> so when someone says yeah. no to me, I'm like, they just said yes. They just didn't know it yet. <laughs> Um, so we actually want to open it up to you if you have questions and, and just speak loudly so we can, everyone can benefit from hearing. I think that what is unique about our relationship, um, we're co-founders and we're co-CEOs today. Um, we had the same skill set when we started. So it wasn't like one of us was marketing and the other one was engineering. Um, we both came from a journalism background. We both love to write. We both love the branding side. And so what that meant um, is that we did what we knew how to do best, which is create a brand, create a persona, Uh, make sure that the writing was tight and really made us focus on that newsletter every single day. I think it also gave us so much more confidence um, to have to put things like an Excel spreadsheet together, to have to learn how to use Google Analytics because neither one of us knew how to do it. Um, So there wasn't um, the ability to rely on someone else. Like when we went into an investor pitch for the first time, it was both of our first times. We were equally as terrified. That meant that we both had to show up for each other. Um, And I think that that's been kind of how we've related to each other every step of the way. Um, I think that a big part of our success as as um, partners has been that we were equal partners from the beginning. 
everything we do has been equal. Um, and that was a rule that we laid out from day one. Um, if one of us gets invited to speak, we both speak or we don't do it. Um, if there is a press opportunity, it's both of us. If um, there is anything that could be seen as divisive down the road, it's not worth it. Um, the company grows and the company vision can succeed because our foundation is solid. And that's really important to remember. Um, our roles definitely change over time. You definitely keep having this feeling of, um, as founders, you you put out different fires every single day. And while our focus um, changes over time, um, Carly's worked a lot more with product recently. I've worked a lot more with the sales team recently. That, that changes every quarter. Um, but what doesn't change is who gets to deal with this fun HR issue that came up or who gets to negotiate this vendor contract, which is really just a matter of how much time do you have this week? Um, question. So I'm also a former NBC producer, so oh. I've always felt uh, an extra special uh, kinship. We like you the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I understand. Uh, so I have a question. Um, you know, you always hear these, like, magic numbers when you're trying to build a newsletter list or a community. Going back to the beginning, did you guys have, I always hear, like, a thousand, a thousand emails, and that's, you know, proof of concept. Did you guys have any metrics like that? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And it's so annoying. Uh, yes. So we're very goal-oriented people. Like we're, I think we would, if I ran, like we both would be really good at running a marathon because just like tell us what the finish line is and we will get there. So when we- I have never heard you say that. Well, I've never thought about it that way before, but I would walk a marathon. Uh, but for the list, um, we were told like when you get um, 10,000 people, like you have stickiness. So all we cared about was 10,000 people. We didn't really know what would happen after that. We were just like, okay, it's all we have to do. And we literally, I mean, I, I honestly, like, it was crazy. Like, I really knew every single subscriber's name and email address. Like, it was insane. Then we got to 10,000, and I don't know what we thought was going to happen, but we were like, we did it, we're done. And <laughs> then people we would go to for advice would say, you have to get to 50,000, and then people are going to really start paying attention to you. So then we were like, okay. So we did everything, like literally like going into Starbucks, putting in like postcards of the skim. And like, we took a college road trip. Like we did all these crazy things. We got to 50,000 and then we were like, okay. And then everyone said, you, you can't like vet, like a VC firm, which is honestly, we didn't have a choice to not take VC funding um, because we, we just didn't have a choice. So uh, we, we were told that that's what VCs wanted to see. And that was like actual like monetizable stickiness. So we got to a hundred thousand and then every VC was like, you need to get to a million. And so we took our seed money, um, when we had about, uh, 250,000 users and we were like, we kind of agreed with our investors. We'll get to a million in a year. And we hired someone on growth analytics as like our first hire. And he's like, I don't know if you guys are going to do it. And we did it in six months. And that when we got to a million, it, it was just like something like took over us. We were kind of like, I don't want to hear anyone else tell us what metrics we have to hit because we have like a very clear strategic road, uh, roadmap in our mind of what we want to build. And even now we have over 7 million people that read the daily skim every day. We are no longer, we no longer think about the list size and the way that we thought about it early on. Cause now we're thinking about how to activate that, that group rather than just growing that top line number. Um, so long way of saying is like 100,000 was like, wow, you can't ignore that we have something here. 
Um, but for venture, it was like the journey from a hundred thousand to a million. Um, I had a question about your skin ambassador program, and I guess the context for me is that I have a similar program with my company, and scaling it, we're kind of getting to the point where it's breaking a little bit right now. Um, so if you could talk about kind of when you hit that point. What kind of company do you have? Uh, Say the name. I'll take it. Danielle's like, you can have this one. Uh, it's really hard. Uh, I think there's lots of things I would do differently um, in hindsight. Uh, and I will say this all with the caveat of like probably other than voting and what we've done with that thing we're proudest of is the community that we built that enabled all of that. Um, and the Skin Ambassador community we have is extraordinary. I think we were too personally involved in the day-to-day of it, that it wasn't the best use of our time, nor our skill set was not the right one. Um, so I think we brought in like community managers too late. Um, I don't think you can invest in that early enough. Um, I also think level setting with your community of like, or, sorry, not just for your community, but for yourself internally, what is the point of your community? If your point of your community is like, this is um, ambassadors to help us grow, then do they hit a ceiling? And then do you refresh that pool? Or is the point that they are... Um, like that's a pool for people to, uh, to get jobs from, then maybe you don't need to refresh it, but do you want to cap it at a certain point? So I think you need to figure out the business objectives and work backwards from that. Um, so growth was clearly um, a big goal for you. And, uh, you said you didn't, felt like you didn't have a choice when it came to going with VC for funding. Um, one, is that just because friends and family rounds weren't going to cut it anymore? And two, when you did go the VC route, did you lose a lot of control over what you would build? And if you did, what was that like and how did So the reason why we said we didn't have a choice is because we didn't have any money when we started. So we went into credit card debt. Um, I think that there, it's a great thing now that people talk about different ways to fund your company. Um, and I think the first way... It really starts with what type of company do you want to build, right? Because you can have a great small business that you want to run for a long time that is profitable um, and can get bigger and bigger year over year, um, but is essentially a small business when you look at it from the revenue potential. Uh, We knew that if we were going to quit our jobs and start something, we wanted to be big. And because of that, we knew that we needed more capital in order to just be able to to do it. I would also say um, we were writing through the night and then we were trying to get the business off the ground during the day. So we were maybe sleeping like three or four hours in shifts. So there really wasn't a feasible way for us to have other jobs. It's not like we could babysit at night. Um, It's not like we could be a barista during the day. And we actually had them lined up. I was going to be a DJ and I have no DJ experience, but I was like, (laughs) oh, yeah, that's great. Like, when was I going to be a DJ? I was looking for breaking news alerts. Um, So it's not the only reason you couldn't be a DJ. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. Um, And... (laughs) So I also have awful taste in music. So thank God this has worked out. But um, I think that for us, 
you know, we had a couple thousand dollars saved up. We didn't have families that could financially support us. And when you think about a friends and family network, what you're saying is, are your friends and family people that can give you $25,000, checks? We raised run round um, that included some people we knew that could do that but mainly seed investors. Um, And then once you do that and you look at the traction that you have, it's like it didn't really make sense to spend the next next six months because it takes six months to a year to try to raise the same amount of money. If you're going to do it and you see traction, you have to raise more. And that puts you on the set on the track to venture capital. I think that one of the best things that happened to us is start is trying to raise money and hearing no again and again and again. Um, because what it did is give us a syndicate of investors who really believe in the two of us and really believe in the idea when we were not the hot thing, uh, when we were not the trendy thing. And that is the most important because I just think that if we had gotten yeses from a lot of people that we went out to who maybe invested in us because it was a trend, um, it would have led to bad dynamics later on. So I think the best thing that happened is that we never were what was in style. What was the most valuable did she plan that question? question? <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot, actually. I can't believe I'm going to be so nice to you. But uh, Jenny was the first person that we talked to that I think forced us to think bigger. Um, she always was like, you don't get it. You don't get what you're doing. You don't, you're not talking about the big vision. You keep thinking small. And that she said that to us about absolutely everything. Um, Honestly, she also, like, it's, this sounds like the small stuff, but she also was like, you need to dress better when you're taking meetings because you are coming off like an amateur. And I think, like, from small advice to actually um, how to hire a team, she was like, when we first started hiring people and running into management challenges, she was our first call many days and talking to us about, like, how to teach people to manage up and then manage down. Um, so while I like to tease her and she trolls us on Instagram, um, we have actually learned a tremendous amount. I think also we've learned, um, well, one, I'm wearing heels today because Jenny texted me yesterday to say I better wear heels. Um, but the other reason uh, is we watched Jenny start her own company and very quickly grow it. Um, and it's amazing what Jenny and Melissa have done at JBC. And they started after us. So I think we're always reminded by how quickly she's done what she's done. We have time for one last question. Yeah. Either one of you. Um, hi, my name is Thank you so much for being here. I'm still trying to formulate my question, but I was thinking, at what point as an entrepreneur do you draw the line between, okay, maybe you can be better as an entrepreneur, or you have a space up the level because you're an entrepreneur. So like, at what point do you draw the line between, okay, maybe I just look at this, or That's really hard. Um, I don't know if I have, I don't know if anyone has an answer to that. I think where you can get help to answer the question 
um, which was kind of how do you know if you're genuinely bad at something, um, like really bad, or how do you know if it's bias that you're coming up against? Um, I think one way to look at it is have a network, have a network of other female entrepreneurs, um, have a network of people that give you honest feedback, because it sounds like in that question, you're relying on um, either your team that you're managing to give you feedback, which can be not always the source of total truth because they're looking at you as a manager and not necessarily as a founder. Um, or it could be that you have to take on something new because there isn't anyone else to do it. And so therefore, yeah, you're not going to be the best at it, but guess what? You're doing it and it's getting done. Um, or that maybe you are really bad at it and you need someone to say that and to really point out, but this person I know can help you get better. Um, so I think that the most important thing I could say to anyone in this room is use each other, um, meet each other and connect um, because that's how you're going to get through or that's how you're going to know what the next battle is. Um, I think that's the best thing that I've learned from all of the amazing women that we now are so lucky to actually know is I'm always asking them, like, what don't I see? What's the next thing that is going to be really hard? And that's what keeps me up at night. It's not all of the stuff that we're going through now. It's in the next six months. What's that thing I don't know about yet that I'm going to be really bad at um, that you've been through before? Danielle and Carly, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, my name is Gabby. I'm the founder of Blank Box. Okay, my other favorite thing is Rebecca saying, in all areas other than dating, no is just a window to yes. I'm, I joke with her, who's, she's my co-founder, um, that I'm shameless, and I'll like come into your DMs, I'll send you an email, I'll approach you at a party, and I think that's helping us spread the word, um, especially because we're self-funding. So when people say no, I'll just keep messaging them until they say yes. Sure. Um, so I'm Jenny Young, and I own Brooklyn Robot Foundry. I think the thing that I'll probably take away the most from this is the importance of community. So so I'm obviously in like the tech world and kind of in, in engineering and building, and a lot of the other people here were in a very different world of fashion and, and kind of the beauty side of things. And there was a lot of talk about community and what that means and how that helps build their brand and their business and that's something that I hadn't really thought much about and I feel like there's so much there that I can like glean from that conversation and really help my business grow so I think that was like really insightful.